0: Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of The Bible Unmasked. The Bible Unmasked is a Bible study that airs on Sunday nights at 7:30 uh, p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube and PlantationSDA.tv. Uh, I am your host, Lenny Anderson, for this afternoon, and the goal of the Bible Unmasked is to read the entire Bible in 2021. The reading plan is shared weekly during our Sabbath service and on social media. And we invite viewers to read with your family members, your friends, your coworkers, and ask uh, them to text their questions in advance to 954 388 8780, where our pastors address um, our questions weekly. So we also invite you to subscribe to Plantation SDA's YouTube channel to be automatically notified of future episodes or any other live stream events. Now, I'd just like to, to introduce our presenter for this afternoon, and that is Pastor Paul Anderson. So, Pastor Paul, um, as we get into our discussion, we just want to go ahead and ask you to lead us out in prayer, and um, we'll go over uh, what we uh, covered last week and go into the Bible study.
1: All right, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to know Christ Jesus, who to know is life eternal. And today as we dive into some very important questions, uh, some riveting with some riveting answers, I pray that it will stir our desire to continue to serve you and to live for you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Praise God. So Pastor Paul, Um, Last week's reading covered Acts 22 uh, through to Romans 14. Can you uh, just remind us a little bit about what we covered last week?
1: Sure. Well, the focus was on Paul and and how his struggle, his wrestling caused him to rely totally and completely on Jesus Christ amidst all the resistance around him. Uh, He had to go through so much just to present the gospel and uh, Pastor McCoy did uh, an excellent job in uh, covering uh, how Paul uh, delivered the gospel uh, as it related to grace and to law.
0: Okay, and so just uh, let us go into a little bit about what to expect for um, this week's reading uh, before we get into the discussion questions. So, this re- week's reading um, covered Romans uh, 15 to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So, tell us a little bit about uh, what we're expecting in these chapters.
1: So, absolutely. Uh, in these chapters, we are finding where uh, Paul is dealing with how to carry out uh, our responsibilities. He was of course speaking to the people um, of his time, but he, by extension, he's also speaking to us today because many of the issues that he dealt with are very relevant uh, to our context. And he is in, in, uh, in, the, in the Corinthian church, he is speaking to a community that is gifted, but divided.
0: Okay, and I know um, a lot of uh, people are interested in in this theme because that happens, it happened then and it still happens now today. So we're we're always dealing with the issues of coming together and being a part of a community and understanding our role and what God wants us to do. So I'm going to go ahead and ask our first question. So our first question comes from Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. What does it mean to bear with the failings of the weak?
1: All right, this is a great question. And Paul tells us in this verse that we need to be patient with others that are not able to do the things that we are able to do, you know, whether that is emotional, physical, or spiritual. It is interesting that Paul adds, that we should bear with the feelings of those weaker than us and not please ourselves. You know, I remember when I was very young and uh, my grandmother, she had Alzheimer's and you know, she would repeat some of the same things over and over again, but you know, thankfully because she lived a a, a wonderful life and she was a very pleasant person to be around, she repeated some things that uh, I enjoyed hearing, even though she said it uh, redundantly. Now, I could have been indifferent. I could have said, you know what? Grandma, stop repeating the same thing over and over again. You know, and and, and that would be insensitive because she had a condition that caused her to behave that way. Um, Nevertheless, here, Apollos is emphasizing that we need to bear with those who are weaker, meaning those who have, maybe they they might be um, going through challenges uh, spiritually, um, they're not where you are. You may be uh, versed. <laughs> you 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 may have found um, strength in a certain area, and you know the admonition here is try to find uh, some sense of sympathy and and and, and be empathetic as well, uh, so you can help to build those persons up. So the truth of the matter matters that. Uh, we do become frustrated with those that are slower than us and are not able to do the things that we're able to do because it inconveniences us. Uh, we, we find even Jesus struggling with this while he was here on earth, uh, when his disciples were unable to cast out a demon from a boy, Jesus said in Matthew 17, verse seventeen, "Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy over here to me. You know, Jesus went on to do what his disciples were not able to do, and he did not give up on them. He didn't say, you know what, just just, um, go and do something else. No. He said, you know what, let me show you how it's done. You know, as a true master. But you can hear, you could hear, you could hear the frustration in his voice. And I think this teaches us that frustration is going to come with those who are not able to do what you know we are able to do. But the question is that is what we choose to do with that frustration. Okay? Are we going to be like Jesus and go ahead and do what needs to be done and love those who are frustrating us? Or are we going to complain and criticize them because they're not able to, uh, you know, live up to that expectation in a certain area of life?
0: Right. And then and, you know, as we look at it, um, you know, Jesus had um, the faith that his disciples would go forward and carry the work that he was doing. And so they had to. you know despite their failings at the time they they did come to a realization of what he was trying to teach them and i think that was only brought about through his patience and love indeed so our next question is taken from romans fifteen, two, and it says each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up to what extent and at what cost should we please our neighbors
1: excellent question uh Strong Christians should make it a higher priority to please others for their good than to please themselves. Um, they, make, they, they should take on the mission of building up their neighbors. And I think this echoes what Paul wrote in Romans 12.10, that living sacrifice Christians must outdo each other in showing honor so to put it another way they must honor each other above themselves okay you know this is a very uh important application of what jesus called the greatest commandment among human relationships and this we find in matthew 22 uh, verses 35 through 40. loving our neighbor as we love ourselves means putting their pleasing or satisfaction or good outcome above achieving our own good outcome. okay it's a lifestyle of sacrificing what I want to give what uh, to others what they want for their good and for their growth. you know I remember coming home one, one evening and uh, while I was home with my family uh, my neighbor had a need um, and I could have been you know I could have been reasonable about that situation. Uh, I could have said, you know what? I'm attending to my family and I, I, I need to take care of them. Um, I, I hope you can figure it out. But, you know, by sacrificing the time to, to help my neighbor in need, uh, deal with a situation that was very critical for them, um, you know, you can imagine when we need to have a conversation uh, about maybe spiritual matters, you know, matters of, of, of sal, you know, salvation, they would be open to listen, why? Because when they came to you in need, uh, you responded in love and, and and you were careful to ensure that everything was covered. Uh, so I, I think this is, this is what the Bible is referring to uh, when it says that, you know, we should esteem others as better than ourselves and we should we should love our neighbors, and we should uh, please them as well.
0: Absolutely. And um, the, the example you gave is your literal neighbor, right? But um, when the Bible talks about our neighbors, it's everyone within our influence and everyone who we come in contact with.
1: That's correct.
0: So uh, question three is uh, coming from the third verse in chapter 15. Uh, Romans 15 verse 3 for even Christ did not please himself but as it is written the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me what does it mean that the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me
1: well well uh you know it's interesting because this you know a lot of questions came out of uh uh Romans 15 quite a few questions and uh You know, this is a very important one here. Now, there are two thumbnail uh, rules to follow when you have to make a quick decision as to whether you ought to insist on liberty in a certain area, or give way to someone else's qualms, prejudices, or differences of, of viewpoint. Now, the first rule is choose to please your neighbor rather than yourself. That's rule number one. Do not insist on your own way of doing things, but be quick to give in. After all, that is what love does, right? Love does not insist on its own rights. And Paul tells us, in first, uh, he tells us that in 1 Corinthians 13. Therefore, if you, if you are loving in your approach, love will adjust and adapt to others. Now, the second rule is Be careful that your given in does not allow your neighbor to be confirmed in his or her weakness. That you do not leave him without encouragement to grow or to rethink his position. Now I think this is very important and it reflects some of the things that Paul has said earlier in his account uh, because we are to seek to build up one another, as I said earlier. And in all these kinds of questions, if we do nothing but give way to people uh, and give into their weakness, the church eventually ends up living at the level of the weakest conscience in the midst. Now this presents a very twisted, distorted view of Christian liberty. And the world gets false ideas about what is important and what Christianity is concerned about. So this helps us to balance the situation. Please your neighbor, but for his own good, always leaving something there to challenge his thinking or make him reach out a bit and possibly change his viewpoint.
0: Okay, so so break it down for us um, in that question when you know Christ is saying that. The insults of those who insult you, they fall on me. So what is Christ saying directly to us? What's the message there?:
1: Yeah, I, I, I think what Christ is dealing with here is that you know whatever whatever a neighbor brings to you can seem you know strange. Like in other words, you know, if, if a neighbor were to ask me, let me give it a, a very simple a, a, um, analogy or illustration. If a neighbor were to ask me, um, hey, would you like to come come and, and, and uh, go out with me to drink? Um, if I was arrogant in my way of thinking, I would say, well, I, I'm a Christian. Why would you ask me such a thing? <laughs> you know, it, it, would, it would almost seem it, it would almost seem or come across as an insult, you know, that, that, that you know, you would ask me such a thing. Um, but, but the opportunity here is to challenge the, you know, th- their way, your neighbor, your, their way of thinking. Because, because if, if you take it as an insult to, to you personally, well, you have, to rep- you, you have to remember that you represent Christ as well, okay? So Christ is, is living out his life through you. So the opportunity here is that when someone asks you um, something that seems to go against, you know, who you are, who you, what, what you stand for, it is, it is the privilege that you have now to share and to challenge, and 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 to to encourage them in a different way of thinking.
0: Okay, thank you. So, the next question is Romans um, comes from Romans 15 as well, and it's from verse 16. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit? Do we need to take any steps to be sanctified? Or is it a free gift given to all?
1: Very good. Well, God is the one who appointed Paul to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. And he is focused on one message, is the gospel, the good news. Now, Paul is acting as a priest, as a priest might, in service of the gospel of God, represent the truth of God's grace to them on his behalf. Now, Paul is not a priest, but he is an apostle. In fact, because of Paul's uh, Christ-given role as an apostle and that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his teaching in Romans stands as the very word of God. Paul adds his purpose in writing them so that the offering of their lives to God as Gentile Christians might be acceptable to God and be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul understands, of course, that though his teaching might be used by God to help shape the living sacrifice lives of the Roman Christians into something acceptable to God, he is not the one who accomplishes all of that, okay? The Holy Spirit is the one who supernaturally sanctifies believers transforming us from the inside out okay and are there steps to uh, sanctification well when we come to when we come to Christ we are justified okay because Christ covers us with his life with his righteousness with his goodness and anything anything that we and anything that we do is in Christ. Because the Bible says uh, it is in him we live, we move, and have our being. So once we're in Christ, we are covered by him. It is it, just like when you have a, an offspring, that offspring, in a sense, is they have your DNA as a you know as a parent. Your your DNA is now transferred to your offspring. And a lot of their behaviors and what have you—it's—it's—you it, know—it's either from the father or the mother. Okay, when we are in Christ, we have taken on a new identity. We have taken on new DNA, and and Christ lives out His life within us through the power or the transfer transformational power of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Okay, so um, our next question is from 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, and it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there is no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. When Paul says that there be no divisions among you, is he saying that we can never disagree with a fellow Christian?
1: Mm -hmm. Very good question. Well, Paul has laid a firm foundation for his letter in two things. First, he had zero doubts that the Christians in Corinth were truly saved, born again believers, completely secure in Christ forever. Paul will not look at their sin and wrong thinking and challenge their salvation. Okay, secondly, Paul has grounded their security in Christ himself. So he mentions the name of Christ here for the 10th time in the first 10 verses. And the Corinthians are accepted because they are in Christ and for no other reason. Now, in the previous verse, Paul wrote, these believers have been called, each of them, into the fellowship of Christ. And that requires, as people in Christ, they be in fellowship with each other. Now, he comes to the first of many problems among the church in Corinth. Instead of being united because they're all in Christ, the Corinthians are now divided. Now, how can you be in Christ and be divided? It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, Paul urges them in the name of Christ to agree with each other. He sets a high expectation for this church and all Christian churches. What's the baseline? Zero divisions. Because each of them is in Christ. Your being in Christ is no better than me being in Christ. It's the same, right? So this unity can and must reach the level of corporative thinking and judgment in matters of critical importance. So so in other words, if a, you cannot say it's okay to steal if, you know, and, and add a clause and then, I say, well, no, it's not okay to to steal, period, under no circumstances. No, the Bible is very clear on on that subject matter. So we, we need to have unity in matters of critical importance, Paul was trying to urge here. Now here, as in other passages, Paul will also clarify that he's not demanding that everyone in the church agree with whomever is in charge. Nor is he teaching that believers can never disagree about something.
0: It's like they, um, you know, they look through the same lens. You know, having the same understanding of, you know, um, how Christ wants us to be as
1: Christians. Absolutely. He's trying to set a standard. Okay. And the standard here is not to reach perfect conformity. Only that they must reach unity and disagreement does not have to mean division you know one thing you know i w- I, w- I will tell my my students it's okay for us to agree it's okay to us to disagree it's o- it's even okay for us to agree to disagree but one thing that's not acceptable is disrespect okay because if we disrespect each other then we cannot uh, hear each other we cannot Uh, consider each other's perspectives and viewpoints, okay? So Paul is setting up Christ as the standard for every thought and judgment. As every person conforms to Christ, they will come into alignment with each other. Differences of opinion will be secondary to fundamental agreement and brotherhood through Christ. And when Christians set up mere human beings as their standard, division is always the result. So so in other words, Christ is the standard and, a, and aside and apart from him, we should put no one above or below each other because we're all on the same level in Christ Jesus.
0: I think that's really, really powerful. Um, I think that would help in a lot of situations for mm-hmm. um, communities and, and people and families to get along um, better.
1: Indeed.
0: So our next question um, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an adulterer, I'm sorry, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such people. Hmm. Can you explain this verse? Should we apply this in our churches today?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Well, here... The apostle Paul is given to the church in Corinth and to all Christian churches, a guideline for how we should respond when other believers begin to participate in actions that are, are clearly sinful. You know, uh, should we ignore the issue as the Christians had done with the man who was having an affair with his father's wife? Uh, this was in 1 Corinthians five verse one. Clearly not, certainly not. Instead, Paul's instruction here is to remove that person from the community. Now, he adds that the rest of the church should not even continue to eat and and be with such a person. In the previous verse, he clarifies that this doesn't apply to those who are outside the church, you know, like unbelievers. Instead, he says, This is about anyone who would call himself a brother or herself a sister in Christ. Now, Paul does not ask us to decide if that person is really a Christian or not. Instead, his instruction applies to anyone who claims to be a Christian. Paul's teaching here allows for the possibility that a self-professed Christian might at some point begin to participate in ongoing sexual immorality, greed, idol worship, angrily insulting others, regular drunkenness, or swindling people out of money. You know, if you have someone that's openly practicing these things and, and they're careless and reckless, you don't want to have such a person around because guess what? If you don't, you know, discipline or do something about um, you know, a person with, 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 with this kind of practice, uh, certainly, it's going drive, to drive away a lot of people out of the yeah. church, okay? So, so the admonition here and the advice that Paul was given was very practical. Now, he expresses two purposes for officially removing from the community those who are known to be living in sin. First, it provides protection for the community from getting caught up in either the sin itself or the consequences that sin will bring second as he writes in 2nd Thessalonians 3 verse 14 to 15 such action may bring the sinful person to repentance and and have and you know the bible says if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed do not regard him as an enemy but warn him as a brother now other new testament passages indicate that separating unrepentant sinners from the congregation is necessary for the health of the church and the influence of the gospel among an unbelieving world so i know it's it's a very dicey situation how we deal with you know removing people or, or having to, to bring discipline and, 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 and uh, you know, order to a, a situation that's, that's chaotic, chaotic and has and, and been caused by a certain individual. But the, but the Bible is very clear. If someone, uh, you, you want to encourage them in the right way and you want them to, uh, you want to lead them to a point where they become repentant, right? But if they choose not to, well, you you have there certain actions that the church must take in order to preserve the unity of the brethren. Uh, Because if 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 no action is taken, and guess what, you're going to have factions in the church, divisions.
0: Yeah, can fester and do more harm. Right. So I I I thank you for that uh, explanation. That's. That's good. So, um, our next question comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and the verses are 1 through 7. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before God's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge uh, trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead said one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already, why not rather be wronged, why not rather be cheated? Are these verses suggesting that we should not seek legal counsel from unbelievers?
1: So according to First Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, a Christian is not to civilly file a lawsuit against another Christian in a secular court of law. Rather, the disputed matter should be arbitrated or judged by a wise Christian or Christians. However, in our modern societal system, there are exceptions or exceptional situations that may not fall squarely within this principle. And such special circumstances will be um, discussed in in my answer. Lastly, if a fellow Christian will not submit to a Christian-based resolution system, then a number of Uh, Commentators believe that pursuant to Matthew 18 verse 17, as a last resort, a lawsuit in the secular courts may be permitted. Okay, so let's break it down. Sometimes the issue is not black and white. In those gray areas, uh, like gray, gray area cases, ask God yourself these questions. These are some questions that you need to consider. Number one, is a lawsuit in secular court my only reasonable option? Or is there another way to remedy my situation? Number two, do I have an improper motive in filing a lawsuit such as revenge? Anger, hurt, like hurt feelings? Stubbornness, impatience, or greed? Number three, is the church equipped to resolve this legal dispute with my brother? And the final question is Are there Christian lawyers, retired Christian judges, or other professionally trained Christian? mediators available to negotiate and or adjudicate this legal dispute with my fellow Christian, okay? Now, secular courts, I want you to know, are ordained by God. Therefore, there is no prohibition against a Christian suing a non-Christian in a secular court. And we know, uh, based on Romans 13, 1 to 7, that this is the case.
0: Okay, um, well, as I look at these verses, too, um, you know, some something stuck out as well. So, um you know, like, like the end of the passage, um, says, why not be wrong? And, uh, why not rather be cheated? Um, you know, I, for, from what I see there, it's, it's, you know, telling us like the, the cause of Christ mm-hmm. is still at the forefront. Right. And so everyone is looking on to say like, okay, so God's people, should, should have some of the answers for these things. Right. Right. And so, you know, if we approach it differently as if we, um, you know, like as Paul is saying, if we're not wise enough, you know, is there no one to give counsel, you know, because uh, these are direct connections with God, um, you know, God's people have direct connections with God and God can give the answers. So I think, um, that's an important aspect of it, too, you know, mm-hmm. that that um, it's a representation of of Christ's message as well.
1: Right. Right. And 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 just just bear in mind that our church has been blessed with uh, a, a lot of resources and we really don't have to go to, to the world for much, um, we have we have been blessed with with a lot of talent, uh, a lot of you, know, of you know various types of professionals, and in, in terms of legal counsel, we have we have a plethora of legal support from our church that uh, we can get Christian lawyers. We can we can tap into. Uh, Christian legal counsel um, that can assist and 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 help you work through a situation at, to you know to avoid having to go to court, um, especially you know when as it relates to and, and the Bible really speaks against taking your brother that means or your sister in Christ to court. No, we have a system. Uh, based on the principles and standards of God's word to deal with matters that, that, that really, uh, you know, are of such a nature.
0: Okay. And, um, and pastor Paul, if you'll allow me um, to just ask one more follow up question. Um, the passage also says, do you not know that we will judge angels? Um, can you just like explain that just a little bit? Um, what that means? Do you not know that we will judge angels?
1: Well, of course, um, we are going to. Yeah, as you as you recall, Lucifer took a third of the angels from from heaven because of his rebellion. He led a, a great rebellion that. Caused uh, the fall, and uh, you know of mankind caused sin to come into this world. He led a rebellion. He led a rebellion with angels. Okay, those angels made a decision. They have records, and we are going to have the opportunity when when we are living in in heaven for the th- the millennium, the thousand years. We're going to have the opportunity now to see what happened, what each angel did, their choices, their their thinking, everything. We're going to be able to review their cases, just as those who were not saved. So those who did not make it to heaven, those who did not accept Christ and his free gift of salvation, we are going to, look over their, uh, their life. We're gonna look at over their decisions, their choices, and, 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 and the things that they did. And we are going to see the record plainly, black and white. Uh, so we're gonna see the records of the angels, those who are lost, You know, those who are going to uh, be destroyed when we return from the millennium, uh, when Christ returns with his his uh, family and and destroys the earth, basically uh, uh, restoring um, you know Earth to its former glory and and establishing Earth as the new capital of of the universe.
0: Amazing. And I know that um, we'll we'll get into that some more, too, as we as we um, continue to study the New Testament. Yes. But I mean, what an amazing responsibility uh, just to know that and, and that, um, you know, like there's there's so much responsibility and there's so much that um, Christ has entrusted us with as a part of his plan of salvation and, and redeeming us to himself. So that's, it's amazing.
1: Absolutely.
0: So our next question comes from first Corinthians seven and it's, uh, verses one through five. Now for the matters you wrote about, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife And each woman with her own husband, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Can you explain this passage?
1: Well, well, this is a very interesting one. I'm going to try to take my time to break it down. Now, Paul deals with specific questions asked of him in a letter by the Corinthian Christians. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, what is the Bible speaking of here? Well, here, touch uh, is using the sense of having sexual relations. And this was probably a statement made by the Corinthian Christians when, which they asked Paul to agree with. Now, Paul will agree with this statement, but with reservation. And the never, nevertheless, uh, verse two, okay? Now, why would the Corinthian Christians suggest complete celibacy, which is what they mean by a a man not to touch a woman? Well, they probably figured that if sexual immorality was such a danger, then one could be more pure by abstaining from sex altogether, even in marriage. Now, does that make sense? Well, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now, in light of the danger of sexual immorality, ever present in the Corinthian culture and even in ours today, you know, it's huge today, it is appropriate for husband and wife to have each other in a sexual sense. Now, pause not. Commanding the Corinthian Christians to get married, an issue he deals with later in the chapter, but a command to live as a married person, especially in the sexual sense. Paul means that husbands and wives should continue in sexual relations. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, Paul is not saying sex is the only reason for marriage or the most important reason to get married. Paul is simply answering their specific questions about marriage, not trying to give a complete theology about marriage. Now, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Instead of a man not to touch a woman within marriage, a husband must render to his wife the affection due her. It is wrong for him to withhold that affection from his wife. And the affection due her is an important phrase because since Paul meant this to apply to every Christian marriage, it shows that every wife has affection due her. Paul doesn't think only the young, the pretty or submissive wives are due affection, no. Every wife is due affection because she is a wife of a Christian man, okay? Now, Paul also emphasizes what the woman needs, not merely sexual relations, but the affection due her. If a husband has sexual relations with his wife, but without true affection to her, he is not giving his wife what she is due, Affection also reminds us that when a couple is unable for physical or other reasons to have a complete sexual relationship, they can still have an affectionate relationship and thus fulfill God's purpose for these commands. Now, likewise, also the wife must respond in the same way to her husband. Render render to her husband what he needs. The wife is not to withhold marital affection from her husband. And the apostle Paul strongly puts forth the idea that there is a mutual sexual responsibility in marriage. And the husband has obligations toward his wife and the wife has obligations toward her husband. Okay. Now we could go, uh, we could go a lot deeper, but the essence of what Paul was saying here is that you need to have self-control, and you need to fulfill the vows of your marriage. You need to show love and affection due to each other. You must have mutual respect for each other, and understand that there are certain things that destroy the the. The solemnity, the holiness, and the beauty of what marriage is meant to be. So he broke it down. He broke it down for his uh, his people in this context.
0: Yeah, and, and um, you know this is a very uh, um, extensive uh, question and I know that like the, there's a lot of things that um a lot of dynamics in marriages that go on and even uh, you know for this subject you know people use um people people will use sex as a weapon I mean you know uh, deprive or you know to say okay there's um there's resentment there and stuff like that so um there's there's many ways that we need to um Look at that as well. Okay, so we are um, to our last question, and um, we'll be taking that from 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. And it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Why was it so important for Paul to let the church know not to be yoked with unbelievers? What does it mean to be yoked with unbelievers? Who are unbelievers? Some within our church argue that being in a relationship with a Christian from another denomination is not being yoked with unbelievers. Is that so?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so Paul's admonition in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 is part of a larger discourse to the church at Corinth in the Christian life. Now, he discouraged them from being in an unequal partnership with unbelievers because believers and unbelievers are opposites. Just as light and darkness are opposites they simply have nothing in common. And just as Christ has nothing in common with Belial, a Hebrew word meaning worthlessness, here Paul uses it to refer to Satan. The idea is that the pagan, the wicked, unbelieving world is governed by the principles of Satan and that Christians should be separate from that wicked world, just as Christ was separate from all the methods, the purposes and plans of Satan. He had no participation in them. He formed no union with them. And so it should be with, with the followers of the one in relation uh, to the followers of the other. Attempting to live a Christian life with a non-Christian for a close friend and ally will only cause us to go around in circles. Now, uh, part of the question was, uh, does this relate to uh, you know cuz there's so many there's thousands of de- de- denominations in the christian religion so it, it does this apply here well you have to consider that uh, if you're seventh day adventist you worship on sabbath and there's a lot that comes with that experience and someone who worships on uh, you know the first day has another experience now to blend those experiences can be very 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 challenging okay um, I, I, I think that the emphasis here is you want to come to unity, okay? Um, we know ideally it's, it's best to be with someone from your own denomination. Uh, ideally, is that realistic? I mean, ideally that's, that's, that's what you want to aim for, but realistic, is that practical all the time? Maybe not, okay? But, you know, I spoke to a friend, I, I remember speaking to a friend of mine, and said, you know, he's a 7th of Venice, and he married someone who was a Catholic. And their belief systems just clashed and clashed and and it and it showed up in their lifestyle so much so that they could not come to unity. And as a result, the marriage uh, separated. It, it 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 did not work out. So uh, I, I believe the Paul is trying to emphasize here that 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 we should as much as possible come into unity um in the community of faith and fellowship. We must, we, we must have an understanding of what the Bible really teaches. And and and, and if if two you know the Bible says, can two walk unless they agree? Uh, just because two people agree that, okay, you know, just because you're in another denomination uh, doesn't mean that we can't be together. The Bible's not talking about that kind of agreement. It is really talking about uh, the, 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 the matters of critical importance that, that, that emerges from the Word of God. There are issues that if you don't talk about and work through, it can be a real problem. In your marriage, and it can be a real problem in 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 binding you together, so that you can you, you can move together in unity.
0: And um, I think that's so true. So, Pastor Paul, we are uh, out of time. So, I just want to invite all of our viewers to read for our next uh, week Second Corinthians ten. And um, that's to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for the upcoming week. Mm -hmm. And then we invite you to text your questions to 954-388-8780. We invite you to text your questions to 954-388-8780. And we encourage you to read daily. And um, our presenters for next week will be Pastor McGarsh and uh, LaVon Braille. And um, we just want to thank you, uh, viewers, for, turn, uh, for tuning in. And Pastor Paul, thank you for taking us through the reading. We um, invite you to subscribe to Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel to be notified of future episodes and any other live stream and uh, to um, see the, the remainder of the reading plan. Pastor Paul, uh, can you uh, pray for us to close, please?
1: Sure, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, how you use the Apostle Paul to deal with some of these issues that the Corinthian church was struggling with and, and how we can practically apply some of these principles in our daily lives. I pray that you would bless everyone who continues to study and to, uh, to apply these principles that their lives would, would, would find meaning and, and, and find depth so that those around, who are, around them who are stuck in darkness will come to the light. I pray all of this in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021
1: with the Bible Unmasked.